0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL.
1: I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. The madness of March has hit The Scoop Podcast. And away we go on this Thursday night, the 4th of March. The year is 2021 This is Scoop Podcast episode 337. Notes, there are many conversations. A smart podcast host would have spread out these conversations, but this is my only time to get into the studio over the course of the next, I don't know, 48 to 72 to 96 hours. So I'll just unleash everything I have. You can fast forward to what you want. You can speed through this. You can consume all of it. Whatever the heck you want. I'll I'll put it out there. You do with this audio as you choose. I'll start with the Wolves. So earlier today, Thursday afternoon, Kevin Garnett on his official Instagram page put out there, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that him, his group, have been informed that they are not the winning bidders. They are eliminated from buying the Wolves. And I'm thinking, huh, does that mean that Glenn has a buyer lined up? Is he starting to inform all interested parties that they are not the winning bidders. So I reach out to a number of people, including Glenn. I text Glenn. I've been trying to track down Glenn since Ryan Saunders got fired. Wanted to talk to Glenn about approving that decision. Glenn never got back to me, which is fine because Glenn is as transparent an owner as there is in professional sports, but he chose not to get back to me on that. In this instance, he gets back to me. I sent him a text of what KG put on Instagram He then calls me. My phone rings this afternoon. I answer. It's Glenn. We talk for a few minutes. He wants to make it very clear. He wants to go on the record. Didn't want to do it in audio form on the podcast. He said we can do that at a later time, but wanted to get out there. He goes, you can quote me on this on the record. I've never once talked to KG nor anybody associated with KG. I have over 10 groups interested in buying the Wolves. But I've not been told anything about KG, a group associated with KG. So he has, Glenn, has no idea what the heck KG is talking about with his Instagram post. It is a bizarre situation. I've reached out to people close to KG wondering if KG wants to offer some sort of rebuttal. So far, nothing. If that happens, I'll certainly pass along that audio. So somebody isn't telling the truth. Is it Glenn? Is it KG? I will say this. If you are Glenn, and he claimed that the process is moving along, that we actually might have some news in the next month or two, late spring, maybe even before summer hits, so maybe well before mid-June. Like, this thing is moving along when he told us in December that he could foresee a scenario where he is still the majority owner Christmas of this year, one year later, Christmas 2021. That now has changed. So we may have some news on a wolf sale in the coming weeks, maybe a month or two, hard to pinpoint an exact date, but he certainly made it sound like things are moving very much along. But that being said, without an agreement in place, without Glenn saying, yes, I've reached an agreement to sell 80%, 90%, 100% of the wolves to so-and-so, why would he inform any party – that they are out. That doesn't make sense to me. That would not be a shrewd business decision. Now, if you're an avid listener of this podcast, you've known for a long time what I've thought about KG's chances of being the Wolves' owner or being part of the winning group. I've said that's just not logical. It just wasn't going to happen. So there is zero surprise in what KG offered up, and I'm still surprised that he put it out there And that Glenn, even if Glenn always knew that he wasn't selling to KG or anybody associated with KG, why would Glenn tell anybody, hey, you are out? It just doesn't make sense. I still think the logical path to involving KG once again in this franchise, which is something that needs to happen, is somebody will end up buying a good portion of the Wolves from Glenn. Hopefully we have some news here. Maybe even in the coming weeks. Maybe it's not months. Maybe it's more like weeks and this person then eventually brings KG into the mix in some capacity. I still think there's a chance that Glenn ends up retaining some sliver of ownership. Maybe it's 10%, 20%, but there will be at some point here a new majority owner. I think it's then incumbent upon that individual, that male or female, to then welcome KG back with open arms. I hope that that can take place. But just a bizarre afternoon with this back-and-forth KG and Glenn Taylor. On the Wolves' trade front, so Shams from The Athletic, he can create some headlines. He puts out there on Thursday morning that the Wolves have been talking to Orlando about Aaron Gordon. They've been talking to the Hawks about John Collins. The Aaron Gordon interest is not new. That is not new whatsoever. You know that from listening to this podcast. The Wolves had trade interest in Gordon last year. February, January of 2020, they talked to Orlando. They've been trying to trade for aaron gordon for a while they view him and i'm with them on this they view him as a really good fit next to carl anthony Towns. so the wolves have engaged orlando in numerous talks in fact i'll advance it here by saying i'm told that the wolves made orlando a pretty nice offer before gordon got hurt sometime earlier this calendar year so they talked to orlando around draft time Then at some point after the season started, I'm told they made some sort of offer. I don't have specifics on what that offer entailed. Clearly, it wasn't enough to get a deal done. On Collins, yeah, that's new, although that's literally what GMs do. We know the Wolves need a competent power forward, so they've reached out on a number of power forwards. But I suppose, I don't know if anybody definitively reported that the Wolves and Hawks have engaged in talks, so yeah, okay. Thumbs up to Shams for for that report that the Wolves and Hawks have been talking trade. Here's the issue. It's hard to find a logical match. Do the Hawks want Malik Beasley? Not after they just paid Bogdanovich. Would the Wolves offer a future first-round pick with some sort of lottery protection? Yeah, maybe. I could see a scenario like that, but they can't trade their 2022 pick. So then we're talking 2023 or 2024. Does that really entice Atlanta so far? down the road it's just it's hard to find a logical match between the hawks and the wolves on a john collins trade i will say though that from some correspondence with somebody close to collins that that camp views this situation the idea of collins playing next to cat as favorable and if he got paid he's a restricted free agent in the summer you know you figure any team that trades for collins is going to give him the money that he is seeking. Otherwise, you're not going to give up assets to acquire him that, hey, if he can get paid, whether it's here or somewhere else, but here, and have the chance to play next to a dynamic big man like Cat, somebody with Cat's skill set, that that's very enticing for Collins. But it's just it's hard for me to see any real match between the Hawks and the Wolves. The NBA trade deadline is March 25th. D'Angelo Russell, remember him? What, now about 14, 15, 16 days ago, he underwent knee surgery. The initial plan was for him to rehab in Miami, which to me is is interesting. Presumably at some point, he'll come back here to Minnesota. Will he return to the lineup this year? I think now that Ryan Saunders isn't the coach, there's a better chance of that happening. I think Russell was going to be out for the year if Ryan was still the head coach. But now with Chris Finch in charge, might Russell come back at some point just so we can see a little bit more of him with Cat? Only five games total. Those two have played together. Yeah, maybe. We'll get to my interview with Chris Finch here in a bit. Chris Finch will offer what he thinks on the Russell situation. It's unfortunate that we won't see Anthony Edwards this weekend in the slam dunk contest. He said no. The NBA was hoping that Edwards would participate in his hometown of Atlanta. But he said no. David Vanderpool, associate head coach. He has an option on his contract for next year. So he makes around $800,000 a year. I think all signs point to Vanterpool not being on the Wolves staff next year that the staff will undergo at least some changes with the new head coach. Chris Finch wasn't going to overhaul the staff middle of the season, but look for changes to take place after the season. I think it's just hard to see Vanderpool back, but do know the Wolves hold a team option On his deal. Bouncing around, we'll get to a conversation I just had with Steven Weatherly. He is back with the Vikings. One year, $2 million. There's a $500,000 signing bonus. Then he can earn another $500,000 in incentives. Here are the incentives $100,000 if he gets to three sacks, $200,000 if he gets to five sacks, $500,000 if he gets to seven sacks. The Twins did not land Danny Santana. The Twins were willing to accept him on a minor league deal, but he took the minor league deal from the Red Sox. Eric Sogard, so he landed a minor league deal. The former Brewer landed a minor league deal earlier this week with the Cubs. I'm told the Twins never actually made him a formal offer, a formal minor league offer, but his camp, Thad Levine, Twins general manager, had a few talks. It was hard for the Sogard camp to see a logical path to a, making the roster, than B, actually seeing the field. So I know the Twins just weren't real enticing to Sogard, but there was some dialogue on that front. On Andrelton Simmons, when will he be in Fort Myers? So Rocco Baldelli told us earlier this week there is a belief that before this week is over, although the week is, is in the latter part of, of you know these, these seven days, and still no sign of Angelton in Fort Myers. But Rocco Baldelli did say publicly a couple days ago, there is hope that before the week is over, Angelton Simmons will be out of Curacao and in Fort Myers, hopefully on the field after a couple of days of COVID protocol stuff, hopefully on the field here pretty quick. The Richard Patino watch is ongoing. I don't know how much more I can say. The writing is clearly on the wall Change is inevitable at this point. Two and nine since the Michigan win in January. Six consecutive losses, blown out game after game. Yeah, they've been decimated by injuries, but the overall Big Ten record speaks for itself. Only 14 road wins in eight years. Two seasons of no road wins, no road wins in 2015, no road wins this year. It's just time. Really good guy, good dad, good husband, like really good guy. To, to root for. Like, Richard Patino is an easy guy to root for. Like, I hate seeing this. I really do. Like, I hope he maintains a house here in the Twin Cities, that he makes this his home. Maybe he does TV for a year if he can't find a soft landing spot. But I did hear that his dad is working some back channels that Richard would like to coach somewhere next year. But if it doesn't work out, maybe he does some Big Ten Network, you know, analyst-type stuff, and he maintains a presence here in the Twin Cities. I just – I like the man. He is a good dude. But the time has come, you know, how how they'll justify cutting the the big buyout check. That will be interesting, you know, after they've laid people off in the athletic department, after they've cut programs, you know, presumably some booster will step forward, although that's part of the issue by the way. Like basketball really doesn't have big money boosters. The athletic department does, but not specifically basketball. So hopefully they can bring you know, somebody in that can just rejuvenate the program. The program needs uh, just a, a breath of, of fresh air. It needs some some life injected into it. So hopefully the next coach can do that. The names are out there. I'll do a deeper dive on logical names once the news is official that the Gophers are moving on from Richard Petino. Zach Parisi expected back in the lineup tomorrow for the Wild in Arizona. We'll get to my conversation with Bill Guerin wild general manager in just a bit. But make no mistake, like if Bill – now, I didn't do a deep dive on this with Bill, but like if Bill could find a trade partner for Zach, you know, Zach's got the no trade, but would he waive it? Like he would have waived it last February to go to the Islanders. Would the Islanders have interest now? But he's got four years left on his deal. The contract takes him until the age of 40. Like not easy to trade Zach Parisi, but making him a healthy scratch on Wednesday – is just another sign, another reminder that the Wild would move on from that contract if they could. All right, let's begin my conversations. We've got Chris Finch, we've got Bill Guerin, we've got John Beeline, we've got Stephen Weatherly. Let's begin with, you know what, let's begin with the guy that made news today. Let's begin with Stephen Weatherly. He is back with the Vikings after signing this time last year, a two-year deal with the Carolina Panthers, but it just didn't work out in Carolina Carolina cut Steven before he could get to year two of his deal there in Charlotte. So, Steven Weatherly became a free agent a couple weeks ago, and he agreed to terms with the Vikings on Wednesday. He put it on social media on Thursday morning. I caught up with Steven in Arizona. He's down in Arizona with his agency, IFA agency, run by local guy Blake Barretts. Tyler Johnson's down there. J.C. Hassenauer, A bunch of Blake's clients are down there training, but also just enjoying some bonding time in the fun of the sun so Stephen weatherly is doing some training in arizona now he'll be in minnesota on monday to sign his contract then he'll head back south where home base is but he'll be in minnesota on monday to make everything official but as of now it's just it's a deal that's been agreed to and when he can sign on the dotted line he will early next week here's my conversation from earlier today with new viking the former viking Stephen weatherly Steven, welcome back to Minnesota. Just take me through your emotions, your reaction to once again being a Viking.
2: Um, so happy to be back. Uh, so glad that the team wanted me and that uh, Blake and organization were able to work something out for me to be back in Minnesota. Um, super excited to be back with Coach Dre, all the dudes on the D-line, um, and ready to go back to making some, uh, some purple magic.
1: I mean, I suppose – in a perfect world, you're playing year two under the contract that you signed in Carolina, but is this about the next best thing that if they had to make the move that you would end up back here in Minnesota?
2: I would say so, yeah, because there's definitely something in going somewhere where uh, you know that level of play and what's expected of you. And uh, coming back to Minnesota, I definitely know that. Once again, playing under Coach Dre for four years and understanding the, the art of the Zim defense for also those four years, Uh, is also super dope. So if I had to not be there, Minnesota would be an amazing place to be.
1: When you say the art of the Mike Zimmer defense, expound on that. What do you mean by the art of Zim's defense?
2: Um, And it's less about the scheme and how it's running. It's less about the scheme and what's run and how you run it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the level of execution needed to perform a blitz. Um, how he gets on his players, um, how he holds you accountable, it's all unique for every coach. Um, I just really like the way that Zim does it though.
1: Take me through the process. So, Carolina let you go a couple weeks ago. Did the Vikings call instantly? Like, was the interest there, snap of the fingers, or did it play out a little bit?
2: Um, that's more of a Blake question. Um, I was aware that Minnesota may be a possible landing spot, um, about. Five days after I was officially released, um, I I asked Blake to keep me in the loop as far as like I don't want to get my hopes up. So like as things are going, he handles it. And as things become more and more real. So I seriously thought Minnesota was going to be a serious place for me to end up probably two days before I agreed to terms. He came back and was like, it's getting it's getting hotter. This Is what we're getting close to. I'll keep you abreast of the situation. And then next thing you know, I'm at workouts. I'm about to walk in. And it was like, all right, like it's it's happening. So and I was like, wait, what? What 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 are the deals? Like, we're working on stuff, we're fine picking it. So, but I think you're gonna be a Viking. And I started getting excited. And then uh after my workout, I had two missed calls from him. So I was like, What happened? Did it fall through? It was like, no, nah, we got it. So I was like, Yeah. And that's, that would, that's what happened.
1: <laughs> were they the only team to make an offer? That everything happened so fast that, that they were the only team that did make an offer?
2: No, there were there were other people in the mix, and that is definitely a Blake question. The other teams were. So, I mean, did he ever present to you
1: though? Hey, Stephen, you need to make a decision. Do you want to go to Minnesota or hey, do you want to go to Detroit or Indianapolis or you name the franchise?
2: Um, that that was a question. Like he. <laughs> He, he never really like puts in front of you like who the other person is. It was like, if, you, if everything was the same, do you like this or that? And so then I answered those type questions and everything pointed towards Minnesota for me. So uh, were there other teams? Yes. But because of the way I answered those questions between Blake and I, we, we pretty much knew where we wanted to go with things.
1: So what's it been like today? I mean, what's been the feedback? I mean, a lot of, you know, I guess, ex-teammates that are now teammates again reaching out to you. Have you talked to Zam? Have you talked to Coach Patterson?
2: Uh nothing but love. Nothing but love. Um not only from the fans, but also from the coaches. Uh, I've spoken to the coaches, I've called to uh Dre. Um, I've also spoken to Figgin, the special teams coordinator. I've also spoken to the assistant, uh D line coach. and then also some of my um co- now co workers, but also friends that also worked in the building in the in the front office have also sent me texts like, so glad you're back and stuff like that. So I've had I've been able to have a couple of those brief conversations. When but were I've you fl- them yeah Monday?
1: When will you fly back up here, Stephen, to, to officially sign the contract? Monday. I'll be there
2: Monday. So I'll leave straight from Phoenix, and I'll go up to Minnesota.
1: So right now you're just you're down in Phoenix. That's your off-season home, and you're training hard down there in, in Arizona?
2: I've only been training down here for a week. Um, IFA set it up for a bunch of us to come out here and get some good work in, in the sun, um, which has been super awesome. So once I conclude here, then I'm going to come straight to Minnesota and sign that, and then I'm going back to Charlotte and I'm going to drive down to Atlanta and celebrate with family.
1: How much was the last year just a roller coaster? I mean, you dealt with, what, an injury? The the stats weren't there like we're accustomed to seeing with you, Stephen, like the way you played in 18 and 19. But then you go to Charlotte. It just. But then the pandemic and just – was 2020
2: just a really weird year overall? It was a really weird year. Uh, I didn't have the season I wanted to by any measurable – at all. Honestly. Um with the injury and then the stats, I feel like by the time I felt really, like kind of figured out my footing and my position on the team, um, I got injured a couple weeks later. So it was super unfortunate. So I never really got into a groove. But uh 2020 was a super weird year. Uh just out of twenty twenty one things looking like they're going back to the way they used to be, which is what everyone always said. I don't know if that's gonna be on TV, but like <laughs> everyone's like I just wanna go back to the old how it used to be Well, I'm back. So <laughs>
1: I mean, so what you're saying is, I think you're right, because like the president said earlier this week, you know, if if, if you want the, the vaccine, every adult will have access to the vaccine by the time May is over. Now, maybe that's a little aggressive. But even if that's a little aggressive, maybe it's June or July. It's certainly by the time training camp starts. So is that what you're saying, that that you do feel like 2021, we can get back to some level of normalcy?
2: Uh, I, I definitely think if everything goes well and we get vaccinated – and people continue to wear masks, and we can get that number down to a very manageable number, and herd immunity kicks in, there is no reason whatsoever why we can't do uh, sporting events again. Of course, safely, and um, under some modified guidelines, but I definitely think we're going to be able to have people back in stadiums, and you're going to feel that home field advantage again. Definitely. Definitely. Sing it. Amen. I'll leave you with this. How much?
1: How much do you feel like you still have a lot of what we saw in 18 and 19? All those quarterback pressures, you know, I guess the six sacks jump out to a lot of fans. But you pressured the quarterback a ton, 18 and 19. Do you mm. feel like here in 21 that that as you turn 27 years old, you're still in the prime of your career? You can be that player that we saw here.
2: I think I could be better than that player that you guys saw uh, stepping out and uh, spreading my own wings in Carolina. Uh, I actually learned a lot. Even though it didn't come through on on stats, I definitely learned how to attack workouts and and sharpen my tool in different ways. And now coming back for this year, um, I definitely have added more to my game. So I think I can be an even better player than what I once was.
1: I mean, is the key to get to the seven sacks you can get that $500,000 bonus?
2: Um, I I don't want to set it at seven just for that. I got to shoot for the moon. Aim for the stars and land on the moon. You know what I mean? So... Honestly, every time I go out there, it's less of a, a number I'm shooting for. It's how I feel at the end of that pass rush. Like, Did I give that pass rush my all? And if I can say yes at the end of every pass rush, I'm pretty sure those numbers are going to show up for sure. And, I mean, you're right. I
1: mean, the sack might be unfair. Like, if a quarterback gets rid of the ball just like that, maybe quarterback pressures is a, is a better stat as opposed to just, you know, getting the quarterback to the ground.
2: Exactly, because if you can pressure them and it goes into a pick, well, did you want the sack for third and long, or did you want to be first in your ball? So,
1: yeah. And I'll leave you with this one. One more hit me, so I lied. Do you think there's something to be said? I mean, you were here. Like, every other year, a Zim coach team does really well. Like, you Mm -hmm. think about 15 playoffs. You weren't here in 15, but 15 playoffs. 17 playoffs. 19 playoffs. So, there's 21. 21. It, it almost follows a pattern that a Zim coach team has to be a really
2: good team, odd number year. You know what? I like that thought. Ask me that same question a year from now. Hopefully we have a nice piece of trophy about yay big that confirms that, that it's a, it's an odd number year thing for Zim.
1: Are you going to recruit some, some other
2: guys to join you? I mean, are
1: there Absolutely. any free agents on your list that you're going to say, Hey, come join me?
2: Um, anyone who the team's targeted, if I can help bring someone, then by all means, um, I know what it's like to be out there and then come back. I definitely know the coaching staff really well. So, um, yeah, I always want to get on those little Twitter things and be like, Hey, you should come here. I don't know if they'll respond, but yeah, I'll definitely try.
1: (laughs) Steven, thank you again for doing this. I know you're being inundated. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know I speak for many of my media colleagues. We're, We're incredibly grateful to have you back. Let's hope we can connect in person in the locker room at training camp, as opposed to, to having to do these Zoom chats. But I'm I'm very grateful to have you back in that locker room. So thank uh, you.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be back, too.
1: Good guy, Stephen Weatherly. Good rotational player. I mean, that's the kind of free agents the Vikings will pursue. Like, you'd love to have Thoney. Or another really good offensive lineman like the Vikings just don't have that sort of cap space. More moves are coming. The Kyle Rudolph move, no surprise, earlier this week. Look for some more moves in the near future. But like that type of tier free agent, Stephen Weatherly certainly isn't a tier one. Is he even a tier two. Maybe he's a tier three. But he can be a rotational guy. Like Stephen Weatherly was a good rotational player in 18 and 19. Those are the types of free agents You can expect the Vikings to pursue. All right, let's now get to my one-on-one with new Wolves coach Chris Finch. I talked to him. It was before the debacle on Wednesday against Charlotte, although it's not like the debacle against Charlotte was any different than what we saw Sunday against Phoenix or Saturday against Washington. You know, Ryan Saunders had the team at least losing single-digit games games right like those scores were were not double digit losses you know then they make the move now in Chris's defense Beasley's been their best player this year he's out we can debate the importance of D'Angelo Russell but I think you'd rather have Russell right now than you know giving Rubio all these extra minutes or Jordan McLaughlin all those minutes so he certainly is handcuffed I mean even with those guys this roster has all sorts of warps. but anyway I wasn't able to address the debacle that, that tough loss Wednesday against Charlotte just getting embarrassed by the Hornets. Like the Wolves should not be that far away from the Charlotte Hornets, especially minus Devontae Graham. But that's an aside. So anyway, it was more just a get-to-know-Chris Finch type conversation. So here it is. Here's my conversation from Tuesday with Chris Finch. Let me start with something, and, and you can take it a basketball route or a non basketball route if you want to. But but as we start to get to know you, what will surprise us about you?
0: Um, I don't know, it's a good question. I think I, I like to think I'm pretty transparent, you know, I like to be candid and get right to the point. Um, I think, uh, hopefully, you know i'll be able to prove my worth as a basketball coach i hope that's not going to be too surprising um and you know maybe uh i get oftentimes you know criticized for being serious or it's it's always a little bit been my demeanor on the coat on the floor but um maybe people think that i'm funny i don't know does your wife
1: think you're funny uh
0: no well we no, it ended in divorce, so nothing funny about that. Dude.
1: <laughs> no, no, there's not. No, sincere apologies about that one, although yeah, no, that's heck, okay. we all know somebody who's been there, and trust me, it's probably yeah, yeah, inevitable yeah. that my wife is going to leave me at some point, so <laughs> trust me, Chris, we've we've all been there or know somebody who's who's been there. All right, yeah, so you're, yeah, going, no. you're what now? You? Yeah, and you're what now? 11, 12 days into this, 10 days, whatever it is, give or take yeah, it, But sure, yeah. but what, Chris, do you now know about this job? that you didn't know the day you accepted it?
0: It's really where I want to be. I mean, it's absolutely where I want to be. I, I, I mean, I love the connection I have with the front office and, um, you know, uh, I like the roster. I think it's it's got, it's got some really good pieces. We've got high-end talent. We have really good young core. You know, we just got to keep moving those two parts in the right direction. Um, but we got to get, you know, all of our talent back available. I think they're hungry for success here. We just have to build the habits that's going to lead to that. Uh, um, The facility and the arena, great place to come to work every day. And, uh, you know, everybody's that, uh, you know, around the organization has been nothing but fantastic and supportive. So, seemingly good place to put down some roots.
1: On Chris getting the, the talent back. It was actually my colleague, Joe, who asked you at the at the introductory Zoom news conference that that yeah. is it fair to judge you on wins and losses? And I'm paraphrasing, but essentially you said yes, but let me offer some resistance to that. Like to me, yeah. I don't know if it's fair to evaluate yeah. you at least the rest of this year on wins and losses because of, you know, the injuries, because of no training camp for you to run, because of no preseason. So is it truly fair to start judging you wins and losses why starting next year, not right now?
0: Well, I mean, I appreciate the, the leeway there. I, I would agree that, it, you know, it's, it's a longer runway that we are on right now. And um, right now, I think we got to be judging ourselves on just trying to build better habits, develop our young core, and uh, get our high-end talent to kind of jive together. I think they all can play really well together. Um, we just have to get them out there available and see what we can do on
1: the high end talent. Do you have an update on, on D'Angelo Russell? We're about two weeks out from, from the knee surgery. Do you have any sort of timetable when you might see him back on the court?
0: No, unfortunately I don't, you know, I, I do know that he's working hard. I've been in contact with them. Um, it feels like he's wants to be ahead of schedule. You know, he feels pretty confident where it, things are, but I don't know what exactly what that means Doogie, right now. Um, and it's not, Obviously he's a priority for us, but with all the other things that we've been able to put our hands on, like more about the immediacy of what we have right now.
1: One more on D'Angelo. I mean, you feel like though, Chris, whenever he's back that, that there's more playmaking there, that you can unearth a little bit more point making from from his talent?
0: When he was in college, we you know, we studied him and when I was in Houston. Uh, and what I loved about him was his playmaking, his elite, you know, one of the best passes in the college game. And he's shown that he can do that. He's a you know very uh, good passer. Um, just got to build some trust in his teammates. Continue to build trust in the system, and not feel like he's got to score all the time. Um, I think with my short uh, week and a bit here. Our guys have really been willing to share the ball, and that becomes contagious. And it starts with your point guards. You know, it starts with your guys that are handling, and primarily, and also it starts with your best players. I mean, Cat's passing has been phenomenal. Look, look at the shots it's led to for us. You know, whether they go in or not, they still been great shots.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had the career high eleven assists in one of the games last week. I think that was that was the Milwaukee game. I mean, on Cat. I mean, you've been around a lot of good big men. I mean, your sense is that that. With him, the focal point, with him, you know, the so-called alpha dog, that, that you guys can be a really good team with him being, you know, the 1A guy?
0: Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, the, he's, you know, you can drive an entire offense, you know, with his passing and scoring and his ability to draw two or more to the ball, which makes it, life easier. We just have to keep getting the right pieces around. It. And, um, again, that goes back to the, you know, the availability of a roster and our young core developing. And then I know the guys in the front office are always going to be Working hard to improve the roster, um, and uh, so, uh, just, but the first things first. We just got to get everybody available, and that you know probably happened in March.
1: I've certainly heard that you're an offensive brain wizard. I think I brought that up in the in the introductory you know Zoom news conference. But is is that unfair that that you actually enjoy coaching defense? That you have some defensive coaching chops?
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the genius label really means. I mean, does it mean that your team score well? It means you have great players. And I've always believed offensively, like create a structure for your talent and get out of the way and let them be great. And, you know, and it reflects well on them and everybody else. Uh, you know, Up until I came to the NBA, I was a head coach, never been an assistant coach before I came to the NBA. So I always coached defense. You know, and as a, as a player, I was a defensive minded guy. I was a wing defender, if you will. So I always I always have a defense first mentality. It's just when I when I came to Houston, they asked me to focus on offense and that's what I did. So yeah, I, and I in the way that we like to play, you know, we want to be physical and want to be pretty active defensively and pretty creative defensively ultimately. I don't know if we'll get all that in the end of this season, but ultimately like that feeds your offense too. Like it's hard to run when you're taking the ball out of the net time so on your on your coaching
1: time in in europe before you arrived in in houston like how how did your time in europe i mean heck i was i was reading somewhere that you even got fired i mean you had one job where in germany where somehow you got fired after just one year like how how did your time in europe shape the coach you are today
0: yeah i didn't even make it a year i got fired on valentine's day so some love there. so by the way, I also got divorced on Valentine's Day since you brought it up earlier. So
3: oh geez. <laughs> <laughs> so, so
1: Valentine's yeah.
0: Day not a good day for me. No, February
1: 14th. Put an X on the calendar. I got it, Chris. Yeah. That uh, is not a good day.
3: Hey, no, I remember the, the day.
1: Yeah, no, I remember the day I got laid off too from, from radio here in town. So I get yeah. it. I, I understand yeah, that yeah. you can remember that day. But yeah, how how did your time over there? Not just the year that you got fired, but yeah, just over no. all your experience over there, did it really shape the coach you are today?
0: No, absolutely, for, on several fronts. One is I was young and I was in an environment where, you know, we didn't have a big staff. And um, so it was a lot of trial trial by error, you know, just figuring out what works, what you like, you know, what can win. Because we, we had to build a team for the domestic leagues. We had to build a team for the European leagues. They didn't always jive, come up with a system that could cover both. Um Again, being young, I was fortunate enough to work in an organization that kind of let me fail but still supported me. And 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 failures. I mean, we won a lot of games, but you know, you still make a lot of mistakes. You know, figuring out who you are and stuff stuff like that. So, and then the pressure in Europe is high. I mean, it really is. Like it, it, it's an emotionally driven environment. I mean, you know, I got fired Valentine's Day. I mean, I know coaches are fired after four games, or you lose two games in a row or just lose to the wrong team at the wrong moment. It's, it's a, it's a wrap and the highly volatile situation. um, But what you have to try to do is just even it out, you know, and um, be kind of even keel with it all there, you know, and and the money plays a big part like anything else, but over there there's no salary cap. So, you know, the rich teams win and we we were always kind of middle of the pack. So it's always about maximizing our players and our our resources and our, our salary structure. So it's a lot of really good lessons that you know uh, I draw from today. And the biggest you know, thing, yeah. so much volatility in the game, you just learn to be like pretty flexible. Not you just kind of roll with a lot of stuff because if you get really upset or you get you know misaligned, your your team's gonna feel it.
1: You and Gerson, Chris, clearly have, have great chemistry. How important is it to have synergy with, with the president of operations, in this case, your, your immediate boss?
0: I think it's vital. vital to any organizational success to have that synergy. Um, you know, I used this example earlier. Like, You can decide whether it was Brady or Belichick. It's really irrelevant. What's key is they were in line with each other. If they weren't in line with each other, they wouldn't have had the unprecedented success.
1: Did you, were you always convinced? I mean, you're, you're 51 now. I mean, the clock is ticking. I mean, were you convinced that this day would come? Like, were you always confident? Okay. One day I will be an NBA head coach.
0: Um, I mean, I was not, I mean, you never know. Nothing's for, nothing is is for sure. I didn't take anything for granted. I just look back on the the near misses and, you know, at the time you're going through them you feel like, you know, I deserve that shot or I could have had that, or, you know, but hey, I just believe you always end up where you belong. Um, even getting fired in Europe, I ended up in a better place that allowed me to relaunch my career and have more success than I would have had had I stayed in that job. And I didn't realize it at the time, you know, uh, in Houston, Went to Denver, was able to kind of re relaunch myself, and um, so that gave me the confidence that I could do these things independent of a specific environment.
1: On the way to school this morning, I told my nine year old we were we were connecting for one of these. So he's like, "Make sure you ask Chris. He loves Anthony Edwards." He goes, oh, "Make good. sure you ask Coach about about Anthony Edwards. How he's going to help Anthony reach reach his full potential." And I mean, heck, I mean, you've already seen it. Like that play on. I guess it would have been what Saturday in Washington where he went over Robin Lopez. Like he has those, take your breath away type moments, but how will you maximize his potential to, to ask the question my son wants me to ask you just how, how will you help Ant reach his full potential?
0: Yeah. A great question. Tell your son that uh, we appreciate all the support. <laughs> um, he takes
1: after his mom, by the way, he gets his smarts from his mom. Not from me.
0: <laughs> you didn't have to tell me that. Do you? <laughs> Um, no, the, uh, yeah. So, you know, we need more of those breathtaking moments. They're, they're in them. I mean, obviously you're not going to come down and dunk the ball every time, but you know, we need more, um, and, uh, just pushing him to do that. Like right now he kind of is just feeling his way. He's playing on raw talent. He's playing on some instinct. We got to give him a plan of attack. You know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta trend him towards being more efficient. That means more at the rim more catch-and-shoot threes. He actually shoots the catch-and-shoot three at 37%, the dribble three at 29%. So, hey, like, when we were in New Orleans with Brandon Ingram, it was the same thing. Like, we're not trying to change your game. We just want to, like, you're already wearing an Armani suit. I just want to tailor it. You know, I, I, let's do more of the things we're already good at and less of the things that we're not, and then we can develop those as we go. And Brandon bought into that, and that's why he was the most improved player last year. And that's a curve that anybody should be on. And that's what coaches should do. Like, we need to put that roadmap and keep them between the left-right bumpers.
1: I'll hit you with two more. So, Chris, you said you you really like this roster. But to me, the roster still needs more two-way guys. It needs more toughness. It needs smarter guys. And and I think the smarts will come with experience. I mean, you do have the youngest team in the NBA. So I I think I need to mention that as I'm saying that that you need more – more smart, you know, plays out there and, and, decision-making, but like, do you agree with my assessment or do you think my assessment is, is completely I mean, off base?
0: I mean, every roster is incomplete. When you start, you know, you can go to the granular level and we, every team needs something, but I, I think a lot of the things that you're, you know, say maybe holes in our uh, roster or, you know, are, are related to our youth in some capacity. So that will improve. Um, the game is about ball skill as much as anything else right now. Like, do you have the ability to put the ball on the deck and go where you want to go, you know, get to the middle of the paint, create a shot for somebody else, go somewhere to come to the ball? And um, and and that, you know, that's something like we have to develop in our players. You know, we have, uh, uh, you know, some handlers, but we want – the game is so, not you know, non – you know, it's uh, positionless, I guess is the word they use now. So we need more guys with more multi skill sets. But again, that'll come. I really that'll come with player development. I'll come with understanding the game too.
1: Are you curious to see what Gerson does here in the next few weeks? Trade deadline March 25th. I mean, undoubtedly. I mean, you know how aggressive he is. I mean, undoubtedly. Yeah. You know, you know he's at least working the phones. No guarantees. You know, yeah. talk equals action. But are you curious to see if he can if he can pull something
0: off? Yeah, I'm extremely curious as, uh, you know, as we all will be, but I know for this fact, it's not going to be for lack of trying, like, you know, everyone's always trying to improve the roster. There's a lot of talk. Um, It's very difficult to make trades in the NBA. It really is, you know, from the fact that teams, you know, might overvalue their own players, making the salaries work, um, you know, uh, outside influences, just other teams getting involved, trying to blow up deals, whatever it might be. There's a lot of reasons that deals don't get done that, you know, that, that uh, you can spend a long time trying to get completed. So. And I know that they're going to be working hard and trying to reshape the roster and build as much, uh, you know, around the, the guys we already have here.
1: Last one. I lied, so one more. I mean, what, what hobbies do you have? I mean, do you, like to, do you like to fish? Do you like to play golf? Like what, what keeps you busy when you're not thinking about basketball?
0: yeah um we love the fish saltwater fishing we got a place down in florida we go there a lot um like to read like travel when we were allowed to remember traveling remember what that was like you know yeah just um i like i love being on the water you know one way or another just either fishing or on a boat or you know beach bar
1: I could go for a margarita right now. Trust me, a frozen margarita. That sounds really, really good right now. Chris, thank you for doing this, and let's certainly stay in touch, okay? Thank you. All
0: right. Thanks, You Appreciate it.
1: That was fun. That was new Wolves coach Chris Finch. And, I mean, we did it over Zoom. Like, I can only imagine how much more fun that would have been if we were face-to-face in the same room. But he's got some personality. I mean, I think there is something there, you know, like – yeah, he might have that rough exterior as he paces the sideline. You might be like, I don't know about this guy. But, yeah, I think I think we're going to like him. I like him. And I've heard that. I've heard, you know, people that worked with him in Houston and all that, that, hey, he knows basketball. Like, the basketball IQ is incredibly high. Yeah, there are questions about how he will connect with players on a personal level. But, like, I think just based on that conversation we talked for a little bit before I hit the record button, like, I think he'll be able to connect with guys. I do. I think, I think there's some personality there. So I appreciate Chris's time with that interview. All right. It would make logical sense to keep the basketball theme going to get to my conversation with John Beeline. But John and I talked for a while on Wednesday. Bill Guerin and I talked for a little while. We talked for like 15 minutes earlier today. But let's go with Bill Guerin here. You know, you can always fast forward through, you know, consume what you want, fast forward through what you don't want. So let me lay down now. My interview with Wild General Manager Bill Guerin from earlier on Thursday. Great. Bill, we are in between the one-third mark and the one-half mark of the season, closer to the one-third mark, but you know, we'll we'll get to the one-half mark of the season here pretty darn fast. How about just an overall state of things, a state of the team? Like what what jumps out to you when I say, hey. You've played, what is it now, 20 games. What what jumps out to you overall?
3: Well, I'm, I'm really happy with uh, the progress our team's made this year. Um, I really feel like we've had a, uh, um, you know, a, a real high level of uh, dedication from the players, the, the buy-in to what uh, Dean's message has been and his, his coaching. Um, you know, I, I think uh, – there are a lot of good things to look at, a lot of positives in the season. Um, you know, I guess if there was one negative, it would probably be the way the power play's been. But for if you're asking me on, you know, like the the you know the 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 effort of the players, their, their dedication's been amazing. They work hard. We compete every night. We had a good winning streak of you know six games. We we've we've had a good run. Um, I'm, I'm happy, but you know we're we're always looking to improve. And, uh, on the power we, play. We expect to be in every game.
1: Well, and you have been. I mean, you've scored so many goals, specifically five on five, going back multiple weeks. Like the power play has me baffled. I mean, you can score five on five. What the heck is the issue scoring five on four?
3: Yeah, well, if if I had all the answers, I we wouldn't be in that that predicament. But it it, it is tough. You know what? Sometimes, and if you get you know, sometimes the momentum can grow in, in, in the opposite direction you really want it to. And um, you know, sometimes when you're you're playing on the power play, you take your foot off the gas a little bit, but uh it's it's something that uh I, I think it looks better. I think we're generating more scoring opportunities we're, um, than we were the, at the beginning of the season. But you know, we 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 need more. We need uh we need the power play to come through for us uh, each and every night. And um that's just something that we're gonna have to keep working on.
1: What jumped out the last two games? Seeing Vegas, the number one team in the division. I mean, they have unbelievable size. I think they're the biggest team in the league. But they have speed. They have skill. I mean, Vegas is really, really good.
3: Yeah, they're a good team. Um, but listen, we we had the the first game. We had it uh, under control. We and then the second game, it was a two-one game halfway through the third period. So they're they're a very good team. But you know what? I, I feel we can not only play with anybody, but I feel we can beat anybody. And um that, that's that's what I took out of out of the, the two game series. Yeah, they're they're a very good team. I'll give them a lot of credit, but um, you know, I, I think we are too.
1: Because you can beat anybody, and I agree with that, Bill, does that change how you approach now we're still a few weeks away. The trade deadline is what, April twelfth, but does that change your mindset heading into the trade deadline?
3: Not really. I don't want to sacrifice. Uh, I don't want to sacrifice assets or players or, you know, draft picks or anything like that just for kind of a, a quick fix. I, I really like our team. I, I think we have good chemistry. I think the guys, uh, the guys are enjoying this group of, of, of players uh, together. And I don't. I don't really want to upset that. If listen, if there's something that that we can do that will make us better for now and the future, we'll do it. Um, but i'm not looking for a quick a quick fix anywhere
1: would that thing be entity be a, a really good center whether that's a number one or number two center is that still a top your wish list
3: yeah i think it's a top a lot of teams wish list but it like i said it just doesn't it just doesn't come around and you can't try to manufacture it if teams rarely 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 trade their number one center so um, you know, we, we've got a plan in place. We're, we're following our plan right now. And, um, you know, with the improvement that we've seen in a year, um, I, I would say it's working. And we'll, we'll just try to continue to do that.
1: On the chemistry, on the leadership, specifically Bonino and Cole, what sorts of difference makers have those guys been not only on the ice, but but more so maybe in the locker room and and just building that camaraderie?
3: I, I, first of all, they're great guys. They're, they're very good people. Uh, they're, they're high character guys. Um, you know, and I, I think they, they bring, uh, you know, a, a winning attitude towards our, to our team. And you know what, I, I knew these guys from Pittsburgh. I, 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 I know what they're all about and they're a big part of, uh, of those back-to-back Stanley Cups. And, um, they've got a lot to offer, you know, some of the guys on our team that, that haven't been there. And, and to me, that's very important to have some, some guys around that, that have gone the distance and, and, and won championships. And, um, you know, I, I think they bring a lot of intangibles to our locker room.
1: How good has Yule Erickson-Eck been?
3: He's been fantastic. I mean, we've, you know, we're, we encouraged him to think a little bit more offensively this year, and, and he's, he's run with that, you know, without sacrificing his great defensive play uh, it's really good. It's really nice to see him, you know, having success. He's such a good guy, good teammate, and very popular with, uh, with everybody in the organization. So it's, it's really nice to see.
1: So he's number one in goals through 20 games. Marcus Felino is number two. If I had told you, you know, two months ago that 20 games in Eck would be one, Felino would be two in goals. What would you have told me?
3: I would have told you you were crazy, but it's, it's nice to see. I mean, I, you know what? I, I think, uh, I, I think um, it, it's just a, a testament to those guys how hard they work. They play in straight lines. They go to the net. They, they're they they're not afraid to play in traffic, and that's what you have to do to score goals in this league. You have to pay the price, and um, both of them are doing that right now, and it's good to see them get rewarded for their hard work.
1: Another guy getting rewarded for his hard work is Victor Rask, right? I mean, he's,
3: yeah. he's, he's giving you something. Yeah, well, you know what? He never played before. You know, he he didn't get an opportunity before he was buried, and and that that was on us. You know, we we had to create this opportunity for him, and and um, and when we did, we had to make sure that he was ready to grab it, and he has. And he's having a bit of a, a you know a career resurrection right now, and it's good to see. He's a talented guy. He's he's big. He's he can skate. He's got skill and good hockey sense. So, I mean, why would this why 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 wouldn't this guy be in our lineup every night contributing and you know, now you've seen he's, he's got chemistry with Zuccarello and with Kaprizov. So, I mean, that line's been great for us.
1: On Caril, I mean, does he have a weakness, Bill? I mean, maybe it's just shoot the puck more, but, like, his skating is phenomenal. Like, just watching him, I mean, I'm more a casual hockey guy, Bill, but, like, he takes my breath away. We haven't seen a guy like that here since, since Marion Gabrick.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's um, he's he's a special player. You know, he, he does some things that uh, not everybody can do. He uh, he can he has the ability to create create offense, create plays when when you don't really think anything's there. And uh, yeah, we're 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 lucky to have him. He's he's playing great. The thing that we we love about him just as much as anything else, just the way he competes. I mean, he is he is absolutely fearless and um, plays in traffic, goes to the hard areas. And just the skill level on them is—it's—it's uh, it's crazy. Do
1: you have one of those T-shirts that Karell dollar dollar bill T-shirt?
3: I, I do not.
1: <laughs> you might have to acquire one. I saw Matt Dumba modeling one in the in the locker room the other day. What's what's the balancing act, like Bill, of of you know managing the roster now, but thinking you know not that far away, you know you need to take care of financially Karell and a Kevin Fiala.
3: Well, we, I mean, we always think, you know, two and three years out. Um, you know, we have to plan. We have, we have, uh, you know, kind of blue pr- blueprints in place that that uh, you know projections for for you know, like I said, two three years out and um, kind of slotted where where we think guys are going to fall in, uh, you know, financially, and um, it's something that we have to keep an eye on. And hey, I mean, look, we're in a we're in a flat cap world right now. And there's, there's, you know, only so much money to go around and uh, we've got to make sure that we're, we're, we're on top of things and allocating it uh, as best as we can.
1: How good has Kapanen been? I mean, he was what the AHL goalie of the year. So we knew how good he could be the potential, but you know, it's now coming to fruition.
3: Yeah. He's been excellent for us. I mean, this is you know, something that we really wanted to get was a good look at Capo to see how good he could actually be to see if he's really ready. And he's proven to us that he is ready. And uh, we're very comfortable, very happy with our goaltending tandem right now. Uh, we feel like Cam and Capo have both played excellent. And um, You know, that, that's what we need. We need You need good goaltending to have success in this league, and, and we feel like we're getting it.
1: How about some injury updates? Let's start with Hartman. Is he Is he close?
3: Yeah, he's making progress every day. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's nothing too too serious, but just something that you know he's just got to kind of keep a keep an eye on. And, and like I said, he's making progress.
1: And then on Johansson,
3: the same, the same. He, he's making progress. He didn't make the trip. He's staying back, getting his his uh, physical therapy. Um, but we, hopefully, he can start skating here in the next couple of days and and make it back soon.
1: Speaking of of making the trip, just how how have you guys been navigating? I mean, you were shut down for a little bit, but just how have you been navigating all the all the COVID protocols that are in place?
3: It's definitely different, but it's it hasn't been bad. You know, I, I think the you know you, the days get a little long because there's you really can't do anything. You know, you, we don't go into like public spaces, or you know, we don't go out to dinner, um, things like that. So. Yeah, the days can get a little long, but you know, we're playing hockey and then we're we're out here to work and not not just uh, you know, come out here on vacation or anything. So we're doing what we have to do. And um, you know, we're just grateful that we get to play.
1: I mean, was there a little bit extra juice? I mean, did you sense a little bit more energy just with I don't know, how many fans Tola was, but Vegas did have a few fans in the arena the last couple games.
3: Oh, it was a huge difference. I think they had 2,800 people in there and it made it just made the biggest difference in the world and um hopefully we can uh, we can have people in our building soon. It, it really does make a difference in just the atmosphere for the players and um and everybody involved and you know what our, I, I think our fans are excited about our team and and want to come to the building and, and see them play and um you know hopefully the powers that be uh, uh, you know understand that and, and uh, do us all a favor.
1: On Parisi, I mean would it be safe to say that, He should be pissed off. Like, he wouldn't be human if he wasn't pissed off with the decision that was made heading into last night's game.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You you know, Zach's a competitive guy, and uh, there's no doubt that he was uh, upset. And, hey, rightfully so. I understand it. And it was, uh, you know, a tough decision. I think Zach handled it well. I think Dino handled it well. And, you know what? We're moving past it now. Um, Zach's the pro and, uh, he's a competitive guy. He's a proud guy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we would expect him to be that way.
1: And just a reminder that it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, everybody is going to be held accountable, right?
3: Yeah. Yes. Everybody will be held accountable. Um, but the big thing here is like, you'll be held accountable, but you'll also be helped. You, nobody's, nobody's going to get dumped on or kicked to the curb or anything like that. It's just a you know, we, we, we have to do certain things, uh, for, for overall team success. And, um, you know, they, they these guys all understand that, you know, what? we're, we're winning more than we're losing and and it's fun and we're doing it because, because of certain things that our us as a group have, have done and bought into, and, uh, we're going to continue to do that and, and, uh, continue on winning ways.
1: Is it safe to think that he'll be back in the lineup tomorrow night?
3: Yeah, I haven't talked to the coaches yet, but um, I would probably think that he would be, but I don't want to give you, uh, you know, uh, false information. So, I don't know.
1: Overall on the trade deadline, so, I mean, we're five weeks out. I mean, is talk picking up right now, or is it still a few weeks away from, from talks really picking up?
3: I think we're a few weeks away. Um, it's been very quiet. I mean, like I said, in this in this flat cap world, um, you know, the trades really have to be dollar for dollar. Uh, there's so many teams that, that are in up against the cap or close to the cap where there's just not a lot of wiggle room. So you really have to have a, a almost a perfect fit with another team to, to get something done. But, you know, everybody will be trying, everybody's going to try to get better and better. So we'll, we'll do the same. On Dean, you've touched
1: on Dean Bill, but overall, how, how do you evaluate the job that Dean has done? I think he's done a great job.
3: I think all the coaches have. I, I think, uh, well, I know they they work tirelessly, and um, you know they 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 put their heart and soul into this job. And I I think you can tell by our record and the, and the way we play uh, that that they've done an excellent job. And I'm extremely happy with the way things are going with them.
1: I hit you with a couple more on on Seattle entering the league. Like, how often do you think about okay, should I protect this many defensemen or? These many forwards, like, are you constantly thinking in your head and and is it just a roller coaster based on how your guys are playing?
3: Not right now. No, that that's still, that's still, you know, some time away. and We just don't know what could happen between now and then. Uh, You know, are there trades that are made that that totally change, you know, who we're protecting and who we're not? It's there's just so many things that could happen, you know, from from now to then that that. Um, you know we we can we do talk about it it does come up but things can change so um there's nothing set in stone speaking
1: of not being set in stone like do you even know when the draft will be like is there just a lot of stuff still up in the air here as as we look ahead to the rest of, of this calendar year
3: yeah i mean the draft is uh you know it's going to be sometime in july and you know it, it, but things can change you, you just don't know you have to remain you know stay flexible and and expect the unexpected. So it's just uh, you know a matter of being being prepared for for when it does happen. And um, like I, I think we are. I think our scouts are out doing doing what they can, seeing the games that they can. And it's an even playing field. Like everybody's everybody's in the same situation. So we're not worrying too much about it. I
1: will leave you with this. Just what's what's your lasting message to Wild fans that will listen or watch this? I mean as you can imagine, there's a lot of people pumped up here in town points in seven of your last eight games. Like there's a lot of people, even though we're not even at the halfway point that, that are talking about you guys being able to maybe make a playoff run.
3: Yeah. Well, I I mean, Hey, look, I, I think that's great and I appreciate it. Hopefully we can, uh, we can continue these, uh, you know, this, this, uh, the winning ways here and, and keep getting better. And, Hopefully we can have fans in the building sometime soon to, to come and see us in person because we would we would love nothing more than to play in front of our fans.
1: Is there some optimism on that? I mean, from what you know, I mean, you know, maybe in April, maybe March isn't realistic. I don't know anything. I don't know
3: anything. I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping.
1: I mean, I would think, right, I mean, whether it's a 1,000 fans, 1,500, but there should be a way, I, I would, I would think. think.
3: They're doing it a lot of other places. Why wouldn't we do it? I'm with you, Bill. Enjoy Arizona
1: the next couple days, then safe travels thereafter. All right, thanks. Wild general manager Bill Guerin, the Wild in Arizona, for games Friday and Saturday. We will wrap up Scoop Podcast episode 337 with my conversation with former Michigan coach, former Cleveland Cavaliers coach. Heck, I would spend like a minute here. I don't even have his full bio in front of me, but John Beeline – Has been a coach for a really, really long time. West Virginia. Heck, he talked about coaching at Canisius in my conversation with him because I asked him if he ever coached against Jamal Mashburn Sr. So John Beeline has been omnipresent, just a legend in basketball circles, now doing fine work for the Big Ten Network. He's called a few of the Gophers games. Will he coach again? He's not 70 yet, late 60s. You know, he's got some good energy. So anyway, we got into a bunch of different things. The other day. So here's my conversation with John Beeline. Coach, thank you for doing this. Heck, thank you for the time yesterday on the phone. It was a pleasure just getting to know you. I've been doing this now in this market, John, for for 24 years. So I've done a lot of work with the Gophers basketball program going back a long, long time. I'm trying to avoid hyperbole, but like John, this is the toughest year I've had, pandemic aside. Just the toughest year I've had to just get a gauge on them, just to analyze them, trying to figure out who they are. The five top 25 wins, three wins over the top 10. They look like one of the best teams in the country when they yeah. handle Michigan the way they did at Williams Arena back in January, but then they have all these road losses. They have way more losses than wins in the conference. Like, I don't know how to analyze this team. How, how do you analyze this team? Yeah.
4: Well, you, you ended up saying at the very beginning, you can't, you cannot put the coronavirus aside. You just can't. They're, they're, they're intertwined with teams performance. If anybody watched the Illinois Michigan game last night without Io DeSumo, I mean, Michigan just didn't have it last night. I've seen more crazy scores than ever. And I just think these young men and their staffs have been locked up for so long I think it's really hard to have connected teams that really get it. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure some of the new guys at Minnesota, they have probably don't even know what the campus at Minnesota looks like. Truthfully, they they did they go to a football game? No. You know, did did they just walk around the campus on a day and just like feel it? And so when I think a lot of the newer players are having trouble and then when you end up losing you know they have the injuries that they've had here with with liam and and then again uh, w- with uh Kalsher before that I mean it's just it's just really been hard it's been hard in a league where a very unforgiving one this year it's usually unforgiving with you know uh, I was in the league when there's 11 there's seven or eight good teams and there's like three or four ones that are rebuilding now you got probably a, 11 or 12 good teams and two or two or three are rebuilding. So it's really hard. And and, and what type of schedule do you get? Do you get all the good teams twice? Do you get the teams that are rebuilding once? There's not equity there at all. So I think they've been snake bit by injuries, the scheduling, a lot of different reasons and and COVID being the foremost one with everybody.
1: Coach, you're right. I mean, the league absolutely goes at least 11 teams deep. Like I'm thinking about heading into the big 10 tournament, Like the Gophers could be one heck of an 11 seed. I mean, figure they get through the 14 seed. Like if you're the sixth seed that Thursday, having to face the 11 seed Gophers who by then, you know, the the sense is Liam is for sure back. And Gabe Kausher may be back next week. Imagine being the sixth seed, having to prepare for the 11 seed Gophers with Gabe, with Liam.
4: Yeah. I, I do think that people always, I never, and they didn't get there very much. We always seem to be like, one game out of being a two or a three seed and somehow we were a five, six, seven seed. Or if we were supposed to be in the, you know, get the bye, the, being a fifth seed, we ended up one game out and we were the eighth seed. I mean, and, but I really think it's actually advantageous, especially if you're going to the NCAA, trying to get on your own the bubble to play games early and just play it out. And because you can get some wins and get some momentum, then you play a team that hasn't even been on the court yet the teams with the double buys and you can beat them. I mean, we had, we had great success with that of going in and playing in the, in the went on uh third and playing on Friday and getting to the next round, just because we played the day before and the other team hadn't. So there's a lot of hope right now for every team including Minnesota, you get guys back, you just need to get hot for a weekend and anybody can do it really. You
1: called Gophers games with Liam and Gabe in the lineup. You've called games with them out of the lineup. How much of a difference maker, I guess specifically, is Liam? But the but the the two of them, how much of a difference you know maker is is having those two guys back for the Gophers?
4: I think there's some teams in the league that can miss a guy or two and it doesn't affect them. I don't think with Minnesota with those two because it, it's they're not a great shooting team as you know. So now. You you and you have Liam inside at least to keep people honest, so that now your shooters can have a little bit more time and space. They need time and space with mostly everybody but Marcus and and Gabe, who had another another tough uh, tough to understand year shooting. Uh, that's huge for them. And then they're really good in transition in offense. They can really get up and down into the floor and run. But if you're not getting stops, I made the analogy all the time. If if you get good field position in football, you you got a better chance to score. And you get a rebound, you're closer to the basket. And they haven't had good field position without the best shot blocker in the league, that the, one of the top defenders in the league, so that they can they're taking they're going 100 yards too many times now because they got to take the ball out of bounds.
1: Reminds me of a chat actually. I was catching up with the new Timberwolves coach Chris Finch. Yes. Yesterday. I don't know if you know Chris or not, but. But he was telling me how how he wants to get the wolves to play faster. But we were having this very
4: discussion that it's hard to play fast when you can't get stops on the defensive end, right? It's the easiest fast break. And, and you know, especially when guards rebound and you're off and going. But this this effect, this is like the not having Robbins or Cal over there in today's basketball. If you have to, if you can't get those if your two best defenders are out and you can't get the stops, and you're forced into half-court basketball, good luck. It's really hard to score. You think Liam
1: has has an NBA future? And I've heard that from, from league people. You know what it takes to get to the NBA, but like when sizing up all the big men in the, yeah. in the conference, and there's a lot of good ones, but Liam yeah. as a pro
4: prospect might be maybe number one on the list? I, I believe that he does. I believe that he definitely, if he's going to really have – You want to be over ready when you go to the NBA. And so that way you go right in there and you're just ready to go. And I think that him coming back next year would be key for him. Obviously huge for Minnesota, but this, this, he has it because he can stretch people, but he needs to get used to playing against people of this size. And, And there's no knock on the Missouri Valley conference. We know how good they can be, but day in day out in this league going against people he's going against it's really be beneficial to him. You know, I said the same thing about Isaiah Livers last year. If you want to play in the NBA, you want to have a career in the NBA, go have a great senior year and show everybody, you know, everybody gets on their age and all that stuff. How Duncan Robinson, Duncan Robinson graduated at 24 years old. How'd that work out for him? You think anybody thinks he's too old now? If you can play, you can play, but be really ready when you get there, because there's not a lot of room for those that aren't ready.
1: The Duncan Robinson contract that he will sign, whether it's back with Miami or or with somebody else, this next offseason is going to be it's going to be astronomical. On coach, on Marcus Carr, mm-hmm. does he have a chance to play in the
4: NBA? Maybe yeah. he has to go the G League route first, but do you think yeah. Marcus has NBA talent? And there's that no, yes, he does. Absolutely, because he can get his own shot. He he has he you know he can score. He shoots from three. Uh the the one thing I think the NBA want him to see is just improve his assist numbers. Just and, and he doesn't he can't do it all the time because in order to score he's got to be a little thirstier than the other for the team to score he's got to be a little thirstier than the other players. He's got to it's it's when you're that good you can't be always passing it up. I'd like to see him get off the ball a little bit more with some passing. Uh, and just make simple plays and that way and he's done that many times and i think everybody says that at the same time you don't want to take that away that ability he has to just score the ball and so yeah i think he does but I also think it's another I'm a big proponent on what you, these these young men in college right now are in a, an incredibly good situation overall and to stay and get your degree uh, get another year and again, be over ready to go to the NBA. It says a lot. And uh, he, uh, I I don't know. And here we lost more kids, the NBA than anybody in the big 10. So I I get that. And I supported everyone. And I, you don't want a guy back that doesn't want to be there either that he's, he's focused on or needs to go to the NBA because his family needs money. So those are, those are a lot of factors in there, but Marcus still will be in that conversation. You're right. You had a bunch of guys, It's actually
1: a pretty new phenomenon here. Like over the last few years, Amir Mm Coffey leaves early, goes to the NBA. He's now getting some run with with the Clippers. Wasn't drafted, but landed a two-way deal. It's Mm -hmm. worked out well for Amir. Then Daniel Oturu leaves early, high second-round pick. He's also in the Clippers organization. Like we're not used to that around here, John, with – with guys leaving early. So I just, I wonder how tough that's been for, for coach
4: Patino. No, that, that's really been hard. I thought about that, especially with Arturo being back this year, that we, nobody, like I said, nobody got hit. We had eight first rounders. We had, we had eight guys. I think it's eight going to go in, go early. We had two second rounders go early. We only had one stay in there stay till their junior year. And you're trying to rebuild a program. And it's, it's very, very hard when, You know, you see you see it right now. You lose your two best players to injury and it really affects your team. You lose your two best players to the NBA when they're sophomores and you didn't recruit on top of them because they were still sophomores. Uh, It's really hard to make those adjustments. So it it, it gets everybody. Give you an example. Wisconsin, you, you know how much they've been at the top. One guy is left early for the NBA their entire time. So, it's that delicate balance of recruiting a guy who can play in the NBA, but also a guy can play four years for you. It's a delicate balance there because it's proven the four year players really make programs better. Did
1: you recruit coffee? I'm trying to remember. My memory's all I, over the place. To, we tried to. Yeah, yeah we, but uh, you he, guys he, were involved, weren't you, at Michigan that, yeah, with you, Amir you Coffee?
4: Uh, we sensed you really want to stay close to home. So, that's one of the, the big, the, the probably the best decisions that I ever made with some recruits is, you know what? The percentages don't look good and let's just get out of this because if you wait too long for them, you don't get anybody. So we were quick to move off people. If we sense, I think he wants to go stay home and go to Minnesota or, or, or somewhere, maybe another school closer. And it's okay. That that's, that's a hard decisions, but Amir's a heck of a player.
1: It works both ways too. Doesn't it, John, that, that I'm sure, you know, this Richard, Patino has, has taken some heat for losing, you know, some kids here in the metropolitan area that that here yeah. in the Twin Cities, I mean, you know it, it's it's turned into, it's been this way for a while, going back to Khalid El-Amin and Troy Bell, and, yeah. you know, you can go back to the mid to late 90s, but, you know, you go back to 2014, Tyus Jones and Rashad Vaughn and J.P. Yeah. McHura and Reed Travis, you know, and it, it's continued, but, but Patino has taken some heat for, for losing some guys, but I'm saying it, it goes the other way, too, where, where some Absolutely. guys just
4: they want to get the heck out of town, right? Yeah, you know, we, we would have the we would have the situation where we'd have a Michigan kid and I would just say to them, why would you want to go anywhere else but Michigan State and Michigan? We both we've been to five final fours in the last 10 years. There's a 50 percent chance you choose one of these schools. You're going to a final four. And, well, yeah, I really want to go out west and visit some schools out there. I really want to do that. And then you, you, you just – it's happened to us like crazy, too. I mean, we couldn't have had better we, – we couldn't have had a better last three years. And my last year recruiting guys that are from Michigan, and, uh, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else because, you know, my uh, – my, my, I, 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 I know a trainer down there that can work with me in the offseason. You know, or they're promising me a starting position, which Michigan never promised to one person ever. And you lose a guy and you know it's a doubtful decision, but you just gotta let them go and just say, go ahead and um uh, and then don't ever care uh, about the guys you don't get. Care about the guys you get, and it still works.
1: Coach, I love this. I just I love absorbing all the all the information and knowledge you have. You've been brilliant. I'm not just saying this because we're doing the Zoom call you've been brilliant on, on the telecast. Like, do you feel like you've, you've found a a new calling that that you want to keep
4: doing this for a while? I like it. It's kept me in the game. you know, last year when I left the Cavaliers, I walked into March madness. I, I knew it was going to be tough and then boom, it blew up and I never got to experience being out of March madness a hundred percent. And so now I'm experiencing it again. So the way to stay in it is the media. So I, I'm, you know, Uh, I'm sure that what I'm trying to do is have options for what I'm going to do in the future, whether it's in coaching, whether it's in the media. I teach a course at the University of Michigan that I absolutely love doing in leadership. And so I love having these options. And this is a fun one for me right now. I tell you what, it's given me a whole new appreciation for what you do and how hard it is and how prepared you have to be. Uh, I'm on the big show tonight and I'm going to spend a good hour today just looking over the stats of the different teams that are playing tonight remarks on last night it's it's harder than you would think but i do like it i do like it so it's definitely an option i mean i imagine too i
1: mean you're calling games from from your house i mean you're not you're not at the arena i mean that's that's just another hurdle to overcome like you're missing so much not being in the
4: arena yeah it's hard to do that with your, we, we have a tendency to talk over each other, especially me who's figuring it out, but you can't nudge each other right now. So that's hard. Uh, but I will say this is going to change the broadcasting way a lot of, of, in a lot of ways that, you know, it, if you're not on camera a lot, why not just do it from your house? Because nobody knows the difference and you're getting, you're, you're watching it. You're getting replays in front of you. It You're getting stats thrown at you it, just like you were at the game. So I, I, I don't mind that part, but next year, if, if it's, if the media is what I choose to do, you know, I think I'd, I'd like to do just as much studio in person studio, try to do this, but that's not up to me. That's up to the big 10 network or any other network that I can work for. But I do enjoy, I did enjoy, I just be enjoy around being around basketball, college pro everything.
1: Or it's up to a university if they want to hire you. I mean, that's, that's my conundrum. Like you're so good on TV, I love listening to you do the games, John. But then there's a part of me that says, like, once a coach, always a coach. And you still probably have a few years left in in coaching, like if you want to do it.
4: I, I have the energy to do anything I want to do right now. There's no question about that. And then it's just uh, as I look at these options, got to choose what's probably best for me in the long run. So, uh, but I do have a lot of energy to do it. I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm walking around just. I walk my dog twice a day for like, for like 45 minutes. I've, I've never walked a dog in my life. And, but it, it, I do have some time right now. I do enjoy it, but I'm fidgety as heck on many, many days.
1: Did you ever have a chance in the, in the mid to late nineties, or I guess it would have been more like the mid nineties. Did you ever coach against Jamal Mashburn senior?
4: I did. I did. I coached against Rick, Rick Pitino senior. And, and when I was at Canisius and 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 we did this deal with Kanishius uh that we, we went to Canisius, or we went to Kentucky to play and they actually came back to Buffalo to help us open up a new arena and so it was the national championship team we they we played against and so uh he 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 was on the team and uh they were tremendous and and Richard's father Rick was very nice to us that we stuck with him for a while and then uh he ended up putting it on us and but I remember they were up by 20 or something. Guys still diving on the floor, playing so hard. Uh, the, his dad's a good coach too.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why I bring it up. I mean it comes full circle with, with you know Rick down to Richard and now Jamal Mashburn Jr. Being a freshman here with the golfers, like to me, like the sky's the limit to use that cliche, John.
4: Like I love the future for Jamal Mashburn Jr. Yeah, I do. I like what I see from him. And uh, he's got, he, I, 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 as a freshman, he looks like he walks in there and it, the stage is not too big for him. There's a lot of freshmen, and we had a ton of them, that they'd, they'd be in foul trouble all the time. They thought they were shooters. They couldn't shoot once they got into the Big Ten. They needed a summer to realize, I got to shoot quicker. I got to shoot better. I got to practice more. He looks like he's fit right in. There, I mean, there's some good freshmen in this league. Kid Hunter Dickinson's amazing. He's a he's a once in a generation big frost freshman, big man at Michigan. I mean, that's there won't be another guy like him for 20 years that can go in there. Reminds me a lot of Sabonis uh, from Gonzaga, you know, because of the left-hander, big kid. He's he's special. He's special. No drama when he gets the ball underneath. No drama. Uh, but <laughs> Robins did a great job with him there in Minnesota and uh, but there's some really good freshmen and there's some really good seniors. It's a Big Ten's a great league.
1: So remind me, so as you jar my my memory even more, so your 14-15 Michigan team heading into the postseason, you had some some injury hurdles to overcome. So in making that parallel to this Gophers team having to overcome some of these
4: injuries, Absolutely. you had you had something comparable back. Very then? similar. And 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 so in, in thirteen-fourteen, we won the league. we were fifteen and three in the league. We won the we won the league by a couple of games. And we had uh, we would have had everybody back again, so we lost Hardaway and Burke in twelve, thirteen. So they would have been seniors fifteen. They, they would have been seniors in fourteen, fifteen. But after after thirteen, fourteen, we lost Stauskas, Glenn Robinson, and Mitch McGarry. So we virtually lost our whole starting five from the championship game run to loss to Louisville in in one year, in one calendar year. We lost them all. So now we go into 15, and you know, okay, next man up. Well, Karis Levert was the next man up, got hurt. Uh, we it got hurt early in the year, and then uh, Derek Walton got hurt middle of the year. So all of a sudden, now you know, we've lost fi- all five starters from the year before and because of injury or whatever. So, the good that's the bad news. So we finished like around 500, we didn't make the NIT, we didn't make the NCAA. But the, there's Muhammad Ali had to play. DJ Wilson had to play. Uh, Spike Albrecht had to play a lot. There's a lot of Zach Irvin had to play. Some of those guys, it, in two years, they won Big Ten championships, or even Muhammad Ali, Mo Wagner, they went to the national championship. So it paid off. The time that you're getting from Mashburn, you know, the time that that you're getting with other guys on that team is really going to pay off down the line for Minnesota. I, I, I believe that. Or you'll find out over time that you have to recruit that position because they had a great opportunity and they and they didn't take advantage of it. There's clarity after these years that everybody wants the NCAA tournament, but if you don't get it, there's clarity on these players. Uh, adversity is time for growth. That's all it is. And they, they're growing through this adversity. And Richard would like to have them playing. And like I said, let's see what happens to the tournament. a a couple wins in that tournament put a whole big different bounce in their step. And, uh, you never, you never, you never give in on these things. They've had a tough go of it. Doesn't mean they could turn around with a couple good nights.
1: There's been a lot of tough goes here, John, going back a long time. I mean, 1997, the, the Gophers make the final four run, but technically in the record books that year doesn't exist anymore. But like since that year, I mean, there's been a pop-up year here or there, but for the most part, it's a lot of years where the Big Ten record has been below 500. I mean, this predates Patino. I mean, that was Dan Munson. That was Tubby Smith. It's now continued into the Richard Patino era. But, like, is it head-scratching to you why why
4: Minnesota hasn't won more going back a long time? here's Here's the issue with it is that it's not about how much better you get over time. People have to go down. They have to go down for you to go up. And it, it hasn't happened very much. I, I'm just telling you right now there's five teams in this league. They're not going away anytime soon, Well, actually Maryland, probably you could add six. So Maryland, Iowa, Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan state. Do you see any of those teams going away and just all of a sudden drop it off the face of the earth? So no. well, what about hard. Illinois, John? What about Illinois? There you go. And, and that but how, Let's say Illinois had to go down, maybe for Michigan to go up. You remember when Indiana had this, it had the thing between Sampson and Crean, they went down. Maybe that's when Michigan came up. Michigan State went up when Michigan went down in the 90s. So, in the late 90s and early, so you need teams to go down. There's some teams that I just don't see ever going down in the near future. So, it's really hard. It's really hard. So people, oh, you're going to outwork everybody. You're not recruiting. No, everybody's recruiting. Everybody's working hard. Everybody has these great arenas. They have these great practice centers. It is really hard, and and you just got to get some some break somewhere along the line. And and that you that, that can happen. I, I think every team in the league now, because of the Big Ten network and the resources in this league, they can make that break in the future. You can see what the league what the league's doing. We can we continue to get eight, nine, ten teams in. That's all you need to do is get in, make a run, and your, your profile to recruit is a lot better.
1: I mean, that's what I'm thinking then. Like, we can temper expectations enough. Like, I don't know if we need to expect finishing top three in the Big Ten, you know, winning 14, 15 games in conference. I mean, I'm merely thinking, John, just find a way to nudge a little above 500. Well, you know, finish seventh or eighth, not
4: 11th. Like, is that realistic? Here's what I told you. When I went to West Virginia – and I told the Nebraska newspaper this today, who's who's looking at Nebraska. So Nebraska, West Virginia was one in 15 in the league the year the year before we got there. And Connecticut and Syracuse were like winning national championships or, or on the cusp of it. And they were they were they were tremendous. They had pros all over, but they were tremendous. And the first question was: how are you gonna beat, how are you gonna beat Syracuse and Yukon? I said, I don't really care where we don't have to beat them. And at that time, the biggies had 10 teams. We just need to get to the fifth, to the fourth, to the sixth. We probably can't get one or two. Let's do it. Let's do it one season at a time, just gradually crawl up there. And then somebody's there's going to be misfortune somewhere. Recruiting mistakes, guys get emptied out by the pros. And all of a sudden you get, then you, you take your shot at it. And, and in our fourth year there, we finished second in the league. we, and, and lost in the championship game in the Big Ten tournament in the third year. But it did – those first two years were, were tough, were tough. And so um, it is – that's what the focus should be for, for a lot of programs that are almost there, like Minnesota is almost there every year. But just keep pressing on. You'll get into that middle, then pretty soon you get to the upper middle. But it's tough to go from, from you know, you being in a 14-team league – it's tough to go from nine or ten to one overnight. You just take time and you do it.
1: But it can be done. I mean, I'll leave you with this, it Jen. Like for for it Gophers fans that will watch or listen to this, like your message to them.
4: Oh, yeah. My be, message hey, it, it, can it can be done. It can be done without question. Because here's the here's the beauty of it. You know, in football, we all go crazy because you know they all that they, they're talking about, you know, the Ohio State, Michigan thing. And it, it really that one game, that one game determines the big 10 championship, maybe is many years for years, it has. And that's one game, you, you know, tr- really? I mean, we lost to Michigan state three times. We, we beat them twice, two years ago, three years ago, they could have still won the national championship. They beat us three times the next year, right? We could have won the national championship. You just, that's the, that's why everybody like you just need to get hot in this sport and get on a run. VCU was in the damn play-in game, and all, it changes everything. You just need, you know, stay injury free. Have the right guys. A lot of hope out there, and and Minnesota, you know, like I said, you have you've been attracting good talent. You'll get good talent, and it just and you have good coaching. Just hang in there, man. And it just this year, it's just been difficult. The injuries when you're not deep and you lost Daniel Arturo, you're right? It's just hard to sustain that. You know, one more hit me, John, and then I'll let you go. Who's who's the toughest
1: coach in the conference to scheme against? Like Patino has told me, Matt Painter of Purdue, just Purdue's always a hard game to prepare for for the Gophers. That Matt runs so many different schemes, and you just you don't know what the heck they're going to throw at you. Like when I ask you that question, who's a coach or two that comes to mind?
4: Well, I I think the I call them the blue. I call them now the blue bloods in this league. You know, the same thing. Iowa's going to keep you off balance. They're going to play zone. They're going to play man. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody presses half the time and goes back. Michigan State is going to grind you out and nobody executes better. Uh, Matt Painter's team, they 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 know what they're doing every day. They do a tremendous job with that. Wisconsin, look at my record against Wisconsin. It ain't pretty. They never beat themselves. They never beat themselves. They never beat themselves all the time, you know, and Maryland's been real good too. And, and, you know, and just three years ago, nobody wanted to go to Nebraska and play. I mean, they were, they were playing really well. So I'm, I'd never tell you, I'd never give that satisfaction to anybody who is the hardest to prepare for, but I would say all four, look at Rutgers. Now, do you think that's easy? And so every team is good. And, and so, uh, you know, every coach has his work cut out for him. I always said no coach ever, ever complained on payday. So we shouldn't be complaining when it's tough because that's what we get paid to do.
1: By the way, are we sleeping on Purdue? So they're like one of the youngest teams in the country. So what is it now, John? There's like a 345 division one teams. Yeah, Purdue's like 335th or something like that. Like they are absurdly young yet they keep winning. I watched them beat Wisconsin last night. Like that Purdue team is really good
4: yet. They're really young. Yeah, they're really young. And I think, And I, Matt could prove me wrong. Uh, you know, they're obviously a tournament team and they could, they could do some damage. They could win the big 10 tournament, but because of that youth, that is really hard that, that Matt, Matt is correcting things in games that he won't have to correct with any of them next year. And you get to the point in when you get into deep postseason play, you don't, (laughs) there's no second chances to correct things. And I think that will be the, if anything's going to get them, that promise for the future is real, right? Is real right now. But it also it's realistic to think that that t- that's going to be hard for them to go up day in day out against all the seniors that are playing out there, all the veterans, and say, all right, yeah, we'll go toe to toe with you. So that may be difficult for them. So, but they're a good team, and uh, they could they could win this Big Ten tournament.
1: John, thank you for the education. Heck, you you forget more about basketball in two seconds than I'll ever know. So <laughs> no, I, not I'm a serious. Mistake. I love it. I just I put the quarter in the machine and, and let you go. So hopefully I can bug you again in the near future.
4: Okay. All right. I really appreciate you reaching out and a lot of the the, the minute when every time we went into Minnesota, the uh, I remember there were several times. It's the biggest game Minnesota's had in a long time, and and we, we were very fortunate to play. So we had a we had a great game there and, and and we lost in overtime, but we were always fortunate to play pretty well there. Uh, we always used to do the thing where our trainer would fall off the floor and do all those things. But great people, great food, great downtown. Uh, so uh, they they got a really good basketball pro- – they got a really good athletic program that and basketball program. So thanks for having me on. And
1: great Arena, like Williams Arena, gets oh, some without, heat. Without question. It's my without favorite question. place in town, John. When that place you've been in there, when it's rocking yeah. – those forget Target Center, right forget, the arena, yeah. forget the NHL Arena, forget the
4: Vikings oh, Stadium, real, Twins
1: Park. It, I'm telling you, my favorite place, place in town to watch a game advantage. is Williams Arena.
4: Yeah. No, it's a competitive advantage to, to play to play it uh, as the home team on that court. Competitive advantage, without a question. John, thank okay. you so thank much. You. Okay, right. thank you. I right.
1: My conversation with John Bielan, I'll certainly stay in touch there. I think, I sense there will be many reasons to – to stay in touch with John Beeline. Appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 337 on this Thursday night, the 4th of March, 2021. Stay safe. Stay sane.